0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: Small Triumph Big Speech is a new podcast that celebrates everyday accomplishments with big, over-the-top speeches. All to raise money for the National Domestic Workers Alliance Coronavirus Care Fund. Hosted by our friend Dylan Marin, creator of the hit podcast, Conversations with People Who Hate Me, Small Triumph Big Speech is a jolt of positivity in a dark time. Donate to the National Domestic Workers Alliance and you might just become a guest on the show with Dylan celebrating your tiny accomplishments with the grandiose speech you deserve. Find Small Triumph Big Speech in your favorite podcast app or at smalltriumphbigspeech.com. It's been such
0: a long break and so much has happened to the janitor. Wouldn't it be nice if before the episode there could be some sort of recap? Like in movies starring Humphrey Bogart, which incidentally is how the janitor sees himself where in the middle of a moment of action the camera would zoom in on Humphrey's face the background would blur and begin spinning and he'd say something like how did i get here how did this all begin how did i get
2: here how did this all begin i i woke up on the eiffel tower i don't know why i'm here i don't know i don't know who i am i don't know how i got here all I remember is my great-grandfather hypnotizing all Paris. I'm a little boy in the memory, and I don't know why that's all I remember. It's night. I'm, I'm cold. I have a bucket and a mop. I guess I'm the janitor. It seems I have a boss named Mr. Chenard, but I'm terrible at cleaning. I'm I'm just terrible. I'd have no idea how to clean, so I hide from him but sometimes I feel like it's too easy to hide from people at the Eiffel Tower. I hear my boss, and he's trying to convince somebody that I even exist, and they don't believe him. (sighs) Well, the thing is, the only people who have ever seen me are Mr. Chenard and and the Night Watchman. Oh, the Night Watchman, Coco. He is incredibly hard to hide from, because you never know when he's going to come, so I figure out the best way to hide from him is to follow him so I can learn his rounds. I follow him, I'm getting interested in him and I show myself, but then he's asking me questions, questions I don't have an answer to. I'm making up a story and he's listening to the story and he's getting relaxed and he's getting hypnotized, he's frozen, I sneak away, but what just happened? Wait. It's bringing back a memory. I'm a little boy, I'm in a schoolyard, and I'm hypnotizing bullies with a story. I sneak away. So this is something I can do. I know my great-grandpa was a stage hypnotist, I guess it's in my blood. But that story I told Coco, a ballroom on the top of the Eiffel Tower, and I was just making it up off the top of my head. I didn't know it would hypnotize him. Poodoo boy, next day Coco comes back and he starts asking me more questions. So I start telling him the story again, I hypnotize him, and I hide again. This happens every night, Then eventually I stop hypnotizing him. Stop hiding and just tell him the story. It becomes something nice between us.
0: And Coco stopped asking questions. Like most authors, the janitor grew attached to the characters in his story, and enjoyed daydreaming about them. Unlike most authors, he began dreaming about them at night almost exclusively. When he does either, I usually say something like, "'And the janitor's eyes missed over.' Meanwhile, in the broadcast ballroom, we find Chief Stagehand Letitia Saltier, Yada yada yada, and we go right in and see everything he dreams.
2: I dream so much about the ballroom and the show and all the people in it, I begin to wonder about it. But then, suddenly, I start getting new memories. I'm remembering my childhood. I remember running away to my great-grandfather's in Paris and being there. I remember my great-grandfather telling me a story about... A hypnotic stunt where people look into shoeboxes and see something important that they'd forgotten. I have a shoebox, so I look in it. I see something important, how my time with my great-grandfather ended. In the story, all the people who'd looked into the shoeboxes were never seen or heard from again. It was mysterious, but it was because they'd all gone off and started new lives. Oh. I want to go off and start a new life. I've never left the grounds of the Eiffel Tower since I woke up here. I don't know if I can. I never finished telling my story to Coco. Every time I started to tell him the ending, something interrupted it, usually Mr.
0: Chenard. And the janitor never got to tell Coco the end of his story. You see something passed between them, and he hasn't seen him since.
2: I'm so concerned I break into the ticket booth and I I know I shouldn't because that's where they keep you know the money and stuff and it's really bad if I'm found in there but I, I broke in anyway because that's Coco's office at night and he keeps his night watchman's log in there. I see a note on the floor. Coco's gone. He's disappeared because of a secret to do with me. Somebody's coming. There's no place to hide.
0: Yes, that's exactly what Humphrey Bogart would have said in one of those glorious recaps. It's a shame we can't do one. But we don't have Humphrey. Well, at the very least, I can say, Welcome back to the Orbiting Human Circus. We will begin in just a moment.
1: We are making full-quality downloads of this and every episode available on Patreon, so you can catch all of the detail and hear the episodes as they're truly meant to be heard. Become a friend of the Orbiting Human Circus on Patreon to get them today at patreon.com orbitinghumancircus. That's patreon.com orbitinghumancircus. A co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents.
0: You are listening to the Orbiting Human Circus of the Air. We last left the janitor trapped like a thief in the Eiffel Tower ticket booth. It's broad daylight. One of the tower's daytime employees is approaching the ticket booth door. There's no place to hide. The janitor ducks down. The footsteps walk up. They're putting the key in the lock. (gasps) They've dropped the key on the ground. They're bending down to pick it up. In one motion, the janitor climbs on the counter, lifts the vent, and dives into the duct, pulling himself madly up through it. Hoping he wasn't recognized, the janitor climbs out of the vent, onto the top of the ticket booth, and looks around for a place to hide. But... No one pursues him. And the tower employee who would got inside doesn't come out to look. Is it possible they didn't see or hear him? They must have. But nobody comes. The janitor can't help himself. He sticks his head back into the heating duct. Quietly pulling his body through, he peers into the booth, and there sees the ticket booth clerk. That one. The other young man is standing there with his arms crossed against his chest. He looks like he's just seen a ghost. The janitor quietly pulls himself back out of the vent and crosses his arms against his chest too. The janitor suddenly wants very much to go to bed. But in his cot he falls into a fitful and restless sleep. He dreams of Letitia. Speaking to John Cameron in his dressing room.
2: You had a hit.
0: Mm.
2: Come on, you had a hit. That
0: was a long time ago.
2: Well,
1: John, will you sing it? No. Oh, come on, you haven't sung it. I haven't heard it in so long. I don't remember it. I will, I want to. Maybe if you look. It's too late. Why?
0: That was before the Eiffel Tower. Before the Eiffel Tower. The dream begins shifting to another place in time before the Eiffel Tower. And in the dream, John Cameron is now backstage, alone in a different theater. And he, too, is different. Like a president earlier in their presidency, his hair is less streaked with silver, and his face is less worn with care. He is marking up a screenplay.
2: Oh, this is not good. Carry.
0: At the top of the page on which he writes Very is the redundant. title of the screenplay, Naughty Till New Year's.
2: I'm just going to cut all of that... Oh. (laughs) Very nice, Gary. Naughty.
0: But suddenly, he hears a sound from inside, coming from somewhere near the stage. Like someone who just remembered an appointment. Oh. It's time. John Cameron puts the screenplay down and strides out into the wings of the stage. But there's nobody there. The theater is dark. Suddenly, he hears the strange sound again. Hello? Is that you? The sound is coming from the darkened wings on the other side of the stage. Come
2: on out. There's nothing to be afraid, of. There's... What?
0: Hello? He cautiously moves toward the sound. Who are you? He stops short because in front of him he sees a Jagged edged handsaw standing erect on its handle's tiny nubs, walking towards him. Is this some kind of joke? <gasps> this is... It's not funny! And behind it, there's more. There's several of them. Just go away. With his arms extended outward, John Cameron backs away, but they pursue him as if alive. John Cameron turns and runs for his life. Saws! Help! Saws! And the scream almost woke the janitor up. But turning over in his cot, he manages to stay asleep. And the dream drifts back once again to John Cameron's current dressing room at the Eiffel Tower, where John is telling Letitia about that first experience with the saws. Letitia asked him what he did.
2: You threw up! I. St- after I screamed and ran away, vomited.
0: <laughs> well, that did it. That woke the janitor up. But it was the scream that he thought of first. The scream brought back a familiar feeling of something he can't quite remember. It's at the back of his mind. He focuses desperately on it. Here it is again, set to the Schumann piano quintet in E-flat major. And this reminds the janitor of another scream screamed by someone else why it was shock why do these memories so and of what in his past do these mournful, plaintive cries in the night remind him, and why?
2: Sarah, oh
0: my God. Sarah, oh my God. And that reminded him of something else. Puking. Puking. I can see it.
2: I'm in the There's two by fours and sawdust.
0: That's right. When a little boy, the janitor often had to hold boards for his stepfather to saw while doing household construction projects.
2: My stepfather was a do-it-yourselfer. That meant I always had to do it with him. I had to hold the board steady while he sawed. And the blade would get so close to my fingers, and this one time it nicked me on the hand. Don't worry, it, it didn't break the skin or anything. It was, I was just scared. But I was terrible at construction. I'd always throw up. One time, I puked right on my stepfather.
0: But that wasn't the scream the janitor was trying to recall. And then the janitor remembered another. When I first ran away to Paris... Ah! I woke up one morning
2: and I I went... I I didn't really... It was when I was first in my great-grandfather's and I I didn't know my great-grandfather very well yet and his apartment was really big and I turned this corner and I saw my stepfather there with a saw. He was sitting down and it was in his lap. But then my eyes adjusted and I saw it was my great-grandfather. He was sitting down in a chair and he had the saw balanced... Um, between his knees I'd startled him when I'd screamed and he just looked at me and he he asked me to scream again (laughs) and so I did Ah. he said perfect G major and then he told me to scream again (laughs) saw in his lap started singing I'd never seen anything like that before I'd never heard anything like that before it was so beautiful it was like an angel and I kept singing he told me to follow the tune and I knew it because it was this record I'd heard him listening to and I just kept knowing what to sing next how my great-grandfather got me to sing. That's the first time that I ever sang for another person.
0: And the janitor
2: suddenly wishes
0: he could tell Coco about it. And it may have been the only time. As far as he can remember, that might be true he certainly would not sing for Coco. You remember that story when John Cameron invited the janitor out on stage to sing? Well, this is how he told that story to Coco. And then what happened? I sang. Well, what did you sing? A song. What
2: kind of song? It was nice.
0: And the janitor realizes that Coco had really wanted him to sing, and he misses Coco so much. Yeah, but what kind of song? And he wishes now that he had sung for him. I better get closing things up. Good night, Julian. But suddenly, the janitor hears something out on the stairs. Is it? And the janitor rushes out of his room. Coco?
1: of this special double episode will air this coming Wednesday. The Orbiting Human Circus in Naughty Till New Year's is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Nightvale Presents. Episode 11 featured John Cameron Mitchell, Susanna Flood, Harrison Beckwith, Walter Lowry, Julian Coster, and Drew Callender. It was written and directed by Julian and produced by Christy Gressman with musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes, and music by The Music Tapes and The Orbiting Quartet, featuring Govan Gaiman on bass, Benjamin Miller on piano, Colia Joni on drums, and North and Romika the singing saws who were encouraged to sing by Julian, with lead editor Grant Stewart, editor Janelle Yee, and assistant editors Emily Marinoff and Jeff Tobias with Julian. Sound design by Jonathan Siri-Mose, Foley by John Ringhoffer, and lathe cutting by Steve Espinola. Engineering by Vincent Cachione, an additional production and mixing by Will Stanton. And Julian's performance in the recap was directed by guest director Dennis Coster, Julian's father. Music from the show is being released by Merge Records throughout the season. Look for it on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Bandcamp, or your favorite digital music service provider. Become a friend of the Orbiting Human Circus on Patreon at patreon.com slash orbitinghumancircus, and follow us on Instagram at orbitinghumancircus or Twitter at orbitinghuman. For more information and full credits, go to orbitinghumancircus.com.